You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, So yesterday, uh, my family got the opportunity to uh, go to the Pix Theater, which we love, uh, because they were replaying Elf. Um, at the Pix, which is incredible, and um, super fun, and everyone knows that movie. Did you know next year is the 20-year anniversary of Elf, which is crazy. It's made, yeah, it's nuts. Um, has anyone not seen it? I don't want to embarrass you, but I kind of do. Oh, have you never seen it? Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Next year, 20 years, you could do it. Um, anyway, so the, the whole point of it uh, is to promote that. Please go. I don't know if they're still showing it tonight or not, but it was really fun. Um, but, uh, you know, when you know a story so well, like Elf, you start to notice different things. So, like, last night I noticed, especially, I'm probably used to watching it on, like, a little laptop screen or something, but on the big screen, you just start seeing, like, the posters that are in Walter's office, you start seeing what the extras are doing, like, all this kind of stuff, you know, and you start noticing all these little details, um, and it was, it was really fun, it kind of expands your view of it and that kind of thing. Of course, it's a great movie, but it struck me just thinking through that of like how much every year with like Christmas or even Easter or whatever, it's kind of telling the narrative that we know so well in the scriptures. And we all know the stories. We all know the things. Uh, Like today, we're going to be talking about the shepherds in the Christmas story. And we know the story so well, but kind of like seeing that a movie like that over and over and over again, you start to expand your view of it. You know the narrative, you know the story, but you also start to notice the little gritty details that can start to expand and grow in it. So that's that's been our heart with this series is just really thinking through the Christmas story and going in depth with these characters of like, can we expand our views of it? Um, so as we've been doing this, we've been with the theme of Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so what is God with us? What did it mean to these characters in the famous Christmas story? Walking through Luke's narrative of it. So, so far we've looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth a few weeks ago. We looked at Mary and Joseph last week. Steve walked us through that. Uh, we've kind of learned a couple things, right? That you're never too old or too young for God to do something great in your life. Uh, we've learned that often God shows up in the mundane, kind of unimpressive parts of life. It's not always these big boom moments, but he can just show up uh, whenever. Um, with that, we've also learned, this was kind of more of Zechariah's story, that if you're not expecting God to do something great, even in the mundane, then often the response can be doubt instead of awe or expectation of that and gratitude. Um, and today we're going to be focusing on the shepherd. So I think what would be helpful, kind of like, again, seeing a movie over and over, you start seeing the details. I actually want to start with some details and some background before we get super into the narrative. You guys with me? Yeah, we're excited? Okay, good. There's coffee if you're not excited, don't worry. So remember, we are reading, when we hear shepherd, things can, all sorts of images, things can come to your mind, of course. But we're reading about first century shepherds. Okay, this is Bible times shepherds. Um, Usually shepherds get a bad rap. Whenever we bring up shepherds, it's like, oh, okay, those guys, you know. We've heard that shepherds were often outcasts. This is kind of, you can go do that job because you're not in the city kind of bothering everybody. Often shepherds are told, said to be unwanted, uneducated. They could even be thieves because they kind of like are on the outskirts and they can sneak in, whatever. There's all these things. And some of that can totally be true. 
But shepherding isn't necessarily bad. You know who else was a shepherd? Abraham, Moses, King David, right? Shepherding is not a, necess- it's not a bad vocation. This is actually a-, a vocation they would have held with high esteem. And there's something particular about our very first part of the passage today that gives us a clue to what these particular shepherds were about. So Luke 2, verse 8 says it and after right after the Mary and Joseph story and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night okay so right there there was a clue in the same region okay remember because of this worldwide census uh, Joseph and Mary had traveled this is back in, in in verse four and Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem and I tried to look for an old picture, and then I thought, well, why don't I just show the like, regular Google Maps of the journey? Steve talked about this last week. Can you throw that up there? So I don't know why I picked car and not walking. That would have been a lot more accurate. But you can, so from Nazareth to Jerusalem is about 90.4 miles, okay? So that's obviously uh, modern, so imagine a donkey or whatever they're riding on, right? And then from, Beth, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem was like another six miles or so, the next slide. Um, again, by car. I don't know why I did that. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can see, so it was almost about 100 miles of them traveling and going. And you can just imagine the rough terrain and all that stuff. So get, they got to this right outside, about six miles south of Jerusalem, which obviously Jerusalem is still kind of the center of everything, especially in first century. And what was the central, most important structure in Jerusalem? The temple, okay? The temple, right? The, the, the main temple, the central to temple worship, of course, was sacrifices, right? Sacrifice or special offerings of various kinds, the kind offering uh, the, the, that often covered sin were animals, okay? Where do you think they get all their animal offerings? Okay, this is, this is routine, sacrificial, the ritual system for the temple, right? And there's much to get into here, but, and you guys can do your own research of this, but the simplest way to put it is there was Jewish law that said that caring for livestock was forbidden for temple leaders because it was considered ceremonially unclean. So the caring for livestock was farmed out, not within the temple area, not within Jerusalem, but actually outside of that, to these priest shepherds to care for the temple flock so that they could produce back to the temple specifically for them. So not for the market specifically, but for temple worship, okay? So shepherd's specific duty was to care for the flock intended to be used by the temple sacrificial system. I'm not sure if these shepherds were compensated by the temple or they were just kind of expected to do this out of their own worship, but they, their job was to be unclean with the sheep so that they could produce clean lambs back to the temple, Okay. Where do you think the main location for raising the temple flock was? The fields of Bethlehem. That was like one of the main locations for raising the temple flock. And so you can, again, you can go do your own research of this, but there's much, much history in the fields and the road to Bethlehem. Everything from one of the main matriarchs in Rachel back in Genesis she was being buried, being buried there, and they, they kind of erected this tower, this kind of tomb for her, right? To King David, he came from Bethlehem, most likely shepherded in this very fields. 
to a prophecy made by the prophet Micah long ago that from Bethlehem shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. So there is much history and kind of this long-standing belief that Bethlehem and its fields and the surrounding area were very important to the coming of the Savior. But of course, when we get to our story, it's been so long, right? Like exiles, right? The people are trying to rebuild. They're, trying, they're trudging along, doing the best that they know how. And in the Christmas narrative now, we just saw Mary and Joseph in this really intimate birth scene, and now we're transported out to these outskirt fields of Bethlehem where these priest shepherds were taking care of the temple flock. So how it would work is these priest shepherds would then take care of the flocks, and when the ewes would give birth, then that priest shepherd would help with the birth in the, in the lamb, and this is legit what they would do. They'd wrap the lamb up, or you could use the word swaddle, the lamb up in old priest's cloth, and then they lay it in some sort of trough manger type situation to then check it for blemishes or spots if it would be a good sacrificial lamb or not. Okay? If they were firstborn male and spotless, that'd be very special. They'd be kept for one year to be the day of atonement lamb, according to Passover law going back to Exodus. But when a sacrificial lamb was chosen, it was then brought and presented to the temple where people could then purchase it depending on their need and their status of wealth of what they could afford. So on a very special occasion, such as the Jewish New Year, the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur, one of those special firstborn male spotless lambs were offered, and there was much pomp and circumstance, and it's really cool. There were festive meal rituals, which were always beautiful, symbolic. There was much celebration, reminding of God's deliverance of the people from Egypt all those years ago. And on Yom Kippur, in the first century temple worship, the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies and offer a more elaborate sacrificial ritual, a spotless lamb covering the sins of all of Israel. And then there was this other ram that was representing their sins as well, and it was sent into the wilderness to die. It's a whole thing. It's super beautiful, very symbolic. Okay, so all of that. Now take that, just kind of knowing that, background to understanding what's happening right now. Temple life, worship, and sacrifices were core to first century Jewish living. Okay, not necessarily like we think of going to church where we kind of have it there. This was like constant and on their minds daily, right? We see all these important things taking place in the Christmas narrative that are kind of like this, kind of building up to this, but they're just a little bit off, right? In Luke's gospel, we saw a priest go into the temple. And Zechariah, right? He's going to the temple. It's his turn to enter even deeper into the temple. This is kind of a clue to this, to offer incense. He was given this grand vision, but it wasn't necessarily Yom Kippur or a special occasion of any kind, but it kind of seemed like rather ordinary ritual worship. And then we read this incredible birth of the Savior, but his parents aren't famous. Like they're a fairly unknown couple, Mary and Joseph, who were forced to travel a great distance to this little town of Bethlehem. No trumpets or heralds preparing the way. To, they go to Joseph's hometown where they cannot find anywhere comfortable to lay their heads. And this young family who only have themselves and this crazy vision from an angel that this baby she just gave birth to was not Joseph's, but made by God. And that quote, he will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. 
Already the story kind of has pieces of what it should be, but it's a little bit off. And then we get transported to the fields where the very monotonous watching over the temple flocks is happening. Right? It was a big, important job to watch over these flocks since this is one of the main ways to atone for the sins for people in the temple offerings. But still, you can imagine kind of the slowness of this kind of work right? and the, and the hardness of what this life would be. The two jobs of these shepherds or to make sure no wild animals were going to hurt the temple flocks, and to listen for an ewe to give birth, right? That's basically it. That was their two jobs. So, okay, back to our passage. They're out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, okay? So we know it's nighttime. They're out there, and you can imagine their surprise when all of a sudden this happens. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I bet they were. That would have been very shocking. Have you guys ever been in a dark room, and someone just flips on the lights, right? This is like, the, like imagine electricity had not been invented yet, right? It's, it's night out. Candles don't do much within the city, right? So there's probably plenty of stars, but it still would have been so dark, and then boom, the glory of the Lord, right? This is like the ultimate dad move this Christmas, like just constantly go into your kids' rooms when it's, when it's dark and just flip on the lights. Say, the glory of the Lord, right? Like your kids will love it. Trust me, they'll love it. But like verse 10, that would have been so shocking, so big, right? Okay, so in verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What have they been waiting for? What were they supposed to, supposed to protect the flock and listen for what? A birth, right? This was what they were listening for. They had in their mind. And what did the angels say? They, they have the gospel, literally the good news. The Savior has come. The Savior has been born. Verse 12, this is where it gets really interesting. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now this struck me. Wouldn't just seeing the actual baby be the sign? Or the fact that angels are appearing to them right there, wouldn't that be the sign? If you go back and you look at the Christmas story, right? For Zechariah, what was kind of the sign for him that something had happened? right? He was silenced, right? He didn't believe he was silenced, and then he was able to speak once they had finally believed and announced that the boy's name was going to be John. Then the sign kind of happened, right? For Mary, what was the sign for Mary that this was something special? The angels, yes, but the fact that she was pregnant and not the conventional way, and she had a baby, right? And like that would have been a pretty big sign, Next week, we're going to talk about the wise men and, and Herod and kind of juxtapose those two. For the wise men, was it the same sign? Was it look for a baby in a manger swallowing cloth? No, it was the star, right? It was the star of David, and that's what they followed. So for these shepherds, why would something lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths be a sign to them? Why would that be the sign? They knew, and this was their life's work, they knew a spotless lamb swaddled in cloths laid in a manger was destined for the atoning sacrifice in the temple. So why would a baby be presented this exact same way? 
Like, you know where this is going, right? Because this is who they are. They are the priest shepherds for the temple. They know exactly what this means. They don't have to guess. They don't have to kind of figure out what is it. Like, they know exactly what this means. This is why this is the gospel to these shepherds. Because much like the parables that we looked at in a couple weeks ago, much like Jesus' teachings, the gospel comes in language the hearers can understand, right? What did Jesus constantly do? He told farmers that the kingdom of heaven is like planting a seed. They get that. They understand that. He's telling priest shepherds that a savior has been born like one of their sacrificial lambs. And this is not a mistake. This is the declarative nature of who the Messiah is. Is And that's why right here, verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Like what an incredible scene this would have been. Think of the implications for the shepherds here. Remember, the focus for the Jewish people of first century was temple worship. Like everything revolved around the calendar of the festivals, the rituals they were to keep according to their rabbinical translation of the law. Like this was a well-oiled machine. The temple leaders offered prayers and practices for the people to worship and to keep God central in their lives while the people then offered their sacrifices, their money, their services to the temple. Money came from their jobs and sacrifices came from the temple, which was stocked by the farmers and shepherds in the surrounding areas. Like anyone who understands supply lines and systems for supply and demand can appreciate a good system, right? Right, now think about the upkeep during busy seasons. There's more demand, so there needs to be more supply, right? Or consumerism can break the machine. So the great Caesar just called for a census, right? Chapter 2, verse 1, that all the world should be registered and go to their hometown. Talk about, I'll be home for Christmas, right? So hordes of people were showing up to places that they didn't live for the census, but if they're a practicing Jew, especially in the Jerusalem surrounding area, then they would want to continue in their regular tradition. So these shepherds are working overtime, protecting and watching over the flocks in one of the busiest unplanned seasons of Judea. The whole point of the sacrificial system is so that the people can atone for their sins and be covered until they become unclean once again, but this was always meant to be a temporary system, right? One day they believed they would not only be saved from their own sin, but also saved from having to live according to the law. So now these shepherds hear that their Savior, the Messiah, has been born. And not just for anybody, but what do you say? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Could this possibly be the one that we're waiting for? Or you can just kind of imagine their emotions, what's going through their mind. Right? Savior means different things to different people, but you better believe For a first century priest shepherd in charge of the temple flocks, salvation might mean not doing this forever, (laughs) right? Now think about this. The first interaction these shepherds have to witness their Savior is seeing him born just like one of their sacrificial lambs. So they have to see this. They have to see what's happening. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, 
The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they had made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. To see this truth right in front of their eyes must have been incredible. To walk into here, to see a Savior, to see a baby wrapped the same way their baby lambs would have caused so much processing for them. And they, then they were able to actually talk about it. No one wondered, at least in the text we're not told, no one wondered why, why shepherds of all people were there, but they wondered at what they said. This is why I think this is actually such a powerful scene. It's when Mary gets mentioned again. It strikes the heart of what, how amazing the situation is. After the shepherds tell of what they were shown, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. So think about Mary. Traveled a long ways from Galilee to Bethlehem. Okay? While not just pregnant, but scandalously pregnant, for she is not betrothed yet, was given no great accommodations for giving birth, and has been through quite the ordeal. You, you don't have to try hard to imagine her just exhaustion, right? Her potential feelings of shame, of confusion. Why is this happening to me? But then who visits them? People who understand what it's like to be alone what it's like to be unclean or seen as other because of who they are and what they do. For Mary to look up and see shepherds who have no amount of ridicule for them, but only encouragement and telling them of God's message to them through the angels. You can imagine, you wonder how many times Mary has tried to explain the situation. Well, you see this angel appeared and, and then I got pregnant. Uh, okay. Well, this, this angel told me that my baby boy was super special. Okay. Like the same angel even appeared to my cousin, well, to her husband, who was a priest. But, you know, you can imagine, like, how do you, what do you talk about? How do you do that? She would have sounded a little bit like she was from Crazy Town, but not to these shepherds. In fact, before she can even say anything, they start talking about an angel visiting them. They start talking about angels and how this baby is the Messiah as it was revealed to them. Like, imagine the encouragement, the affirmation to Mary and Joseph, the camaraderie of this super weird little scene here with Jesus laid in the manger. Like, that would have been such a precious moment, an affirmation moment for them. And then, of course, the shepherds go off. They give God the glory and praise for what they'd experienced because this means something great to them. And we're to our question now, our question that we want to ask every time. So what did Emmanuel, what did God with us on earth, what did it mean to these shepherds? Well, it meant some incredible theology. It meant their Savior, Jesus Christ, was born as the sacrificial lamb. That was core to the identity of who this Savior was. They obviously haven't seen the cross yet, but this was now a huge part of the identity they would know their Savior, Jesus, as. He embodied the atonement for God's people. The question is, when you and I go to Jesus, do we see him as our atonement like the shepherds did? Of course we see a God who loves us. Of course we see a God who provides for us, who watches over us, but do we go him humbly seeing him as our atonement? 
right? For the shepherds, Christ the Savior would take the place of the sacrificial lambs and truly, once and for all, take away the sins of the world. That meant the, that meant the end of the temple sacrificial system was drawing near. The sins of Israel would finally be covered once and for all, and the need for constant offering would be done. Their temple flock shepherding days were numbered. Right? It's beautiful to think that Emmanuel to these shepherds meant God shepherding them and shepherding his people. And we see this over and over again, that God meets the people where they are at. Like no matter the circumstances, no matter the vocation, the passions, Christ, the sacrificial lamb, has come to be with his people and to cover his people with his grace. And to have a reality that is sinless, that is the sin is atoned for, isn't that what we believe today? Isn't that what we believe Christ did? We're reading about a people group who are still under the law, desire not to be, but we know that we who are in Christ Jesus are not under the law, but under grace today. In fact, this is one of the core factors why Emmanuel, God with us down on earth, had to happen because God subjected himself to the same laws as his humans. Paul wrote a beautiful letter. We're actually in the new year. We're going to walk through the letter of Galatians, which I'm really excited about. This is a little teaser. So chapter 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Like Jesus fulfilled the law that was covering for all the people to, to, to be set apart and attempt to get back to the creation state relationship with God, but it was always supposed to be temporary with the law. Instead, Jesus fulfilled it. The law was replaced with a new covering, the covering of grace for a family, a family of adopted sons and daughters to a father who is the good shepherd. Paul went on to the Galatians to encourage, verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And that's incredible in itself. We could go off on that, but, but think of this. God's desire is not just to populate his family, but to have a kingdom of priests, heirs to God. Right? A kingdom of priests. Much like these shepherds in our story had a job to do and had various social standings and circumstances, they were priestly shepherds. Right? They had a yucky job, but they were a vital part of this temple kingdom that they lived in. If followers of God today are priestly heirs to his kingdom, then we are an important part in the kingdom where we are at as well. Like, Take your vocation, take your, your calling on life or what you, what you believe it is, and realize that God is making you a priest of his kingdom in that field. So just whatever it can be, I just thought of a few, but plug it in for yourself. What if we realize that we are, we are priestly nurses, priestly teachers, priestly retirees, right? Priestly mom and dads, construction workers, baristas, dog walkers, librarians, like all with a priestly posture. And priesthood isn't about being perfect, it's about being a representative, right? Paul has this language in 2 Corinthians, ambassadors for Christ, right? The best way to represent Christ is not to show people how they can continue to offer sacrifices, but to reveal to them that their sins have been atoned for by Jesus Christ, that there was a Savior born to them. 
to show them the one who sacrificed so that the law of sacrifices could be done away with. That is the king that was born to these shepherds. That is what Savior meant to these shepherds, and we can learn from much today. For to you and me, a Savior has been born as a sacrifice that you and me could never fully offer so that now we can be fully and unashamedly in the presence of God, and that should change us. The fact that we have this covering of grace that we can go to God himself. This should spur us on to seek Christ, to love others because of his incredible grace we have received. He is ruler. He is our shepherd. He is our atonement. He is our peace. I mentioned earlier the great prophecy from Micah who talked about Bethlehem, who talked about this amazing scene of Christ being from there, Christ being born. I want to finish with kind of the full prophecy in Micah 5 as we go to worship and respond to our great Savior today, who today isn't just born, but reigns in victory and is making us new. So let me read Micah 5, and then let's go to worship him today. But you, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace.